Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So with an open heart and open scriptures, he was alone with the Lord Jesus Christ who retaught him the scriptures, who reprogrammed his thinking about all the scriptures. And after that had taken place, then he went up to meet with the rest of the apostles. So the fact is that no one else would have understood Paul. No one else would have understood Abraham had he told anybody else that he was, God called him to sacrifice his son. And if Abraham would have said to Sarah, as we said, God has called me to sacrifice our son, she would have said to Abraham, well, God's told me to sacrifice you first. <laughs> 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 if Abraham had said that, God's told me to sacrifice you. It reminds me of what um, my father and uh, what my father told Dr. Mazur. It was 1959, and my father had his, when he had his first cardiac bypass surgery, open heart surgery, and Dr. Mazur was his cardiologist. I remember my father sitting in the hospital bed at Cedars Lebanon Hospital. Cedars Lebanon was before Cedars Sinai emerged, but Cedars Lebanon Hospital in Los Angeles, where my father was practicing there, and so Dr. Mazur was his colleague, his friend. And Dr. Mazur was a little rough around the edges. You know, so the surgery was scheduled for the next morning. So th- there my father was in the hospital bed the night before the surgery. There I was, a nine-year-old kid sitting next to my dad's bed. And Dr. Mazur walks in the door. He was a big man. He was a big man, Dr. Mazur. He walks in the door. He says, well, Eddie, he says, I give you a 50% chance that you'll make it through the surgery tomorrow morning. <laughs> my dad's eyes get really big. <laughs> He says, Herb, I'll give you a 50% chance that I'll be in this hospital bed when you come to get me tomorrow morning. <laughs> if Abraham would have told Isaac, you know, tomorrow morning we're going to leave and we're going to go to a place where we're going to sacrifice you, Abraham. Isaac would have said, you're not going to find me tomorrow morning. <laughs> Abraham just could not discuss this with anyone. This is something very personal, very intimate, very private between God and Abraham, that's all. It was a part of the private life between God and Abraham, which shows that Abraham had a very important private life with God. And for us to see this in this chapter, the depth of the personal private life between God and Abraham, it brings a very challenging question to us. And the question is, how about us? Do we have a meaningful, deep, private life with God like Abraham did, God and no one else? Do we have this private life with God that no one else enters into? I remember one time I was very concerned for a pastor here in the city. And so I went over to his house and I asked him, I said, you know, can you please describe to me your personal devotional time alone with God? I said, what is that like? Just, just, no, I don't want to know details, but just what is it like? He said, oh, my devotion time with God. He, says, uh, he said that in the morning, every morning, he says, uh, my wife and I sit down together and we read the Bible together and we pray together. I said, that's it? Nothing else? That's it. 
I said, I asked him, did you have any time alone without your wife? You know, not the we, but the my. Time alone. He said he didn't. See, Abraham's devotional time of God was obviously not with Sarah. <laughs> you know, he had a time alone with God. And when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, he didn't want Abraham to share it with anyone else. And the first thing we're tempted to do when God speaks to us, especially if it's something a little disturbing or whatever it might be, is go out and tell everybody. You know, tell everybody. But God wanted this to remain private, individually, between Abraham and God. I remember calling Pastor Jim one morning, and I was telling him about something, and then I happened to mention to him, I haven't had my devotions time yet. I remember Pastor Jim stops the conversation. He says, Tom? Like that. I said, yes. And he said, go meet with God now. (laughs) That was the end of the conversation. (laughs) Abraham had a vital life, a life-giving life with God alone. And that made up the core of who Abraham was. Now, we see from the end of verse 3 where it says, And Abraham rose up and went unto the place which God had told him, that sure enough, and Abraham was, we don't see Abraham here, he was not repulsed by God, he was not repulsed at God when God had told him to uh, do a human sacrifice. He was not disgusted or nauseated at God when God had called him to sacrifice his son. He didn't flinch. We don't see him flinching. We don't see him shying away from the call of God to sacrifice his son. We don't see him drawing back, like it says in Hebrews, drawing back from God. We don't see him recoiling. We don't see him balking at God. We don't see any argument with God. We don't see any resistance. We don't see any not-so-lords. Why not? How could Abraham not be repulsed and disgusted and nauseated and flinch and draw back and recoil and balk and argue and resist when God called him to sacrifice his son? What was it about Abraham that made him not do that? What was Abraham's secret? It's the question. Wouldn't it be terrific if we could know what was in Abraham's mind? What was he thinking about that enabled him not to, to resist God when he called to sacrifice his son? It'd be wonderful. And it is wonderful. We're told exactly what was in Abraham's mind. So turn uh, to, to that Hebrews eleven eighteen through 19. Hebrews eleven eighteen through 19. It's so wonderful because it tells us what was in this man's head. What was he thinking? What was he going? And to not resist God. And so this is what it says in Hebrews eleven eighteen through 19. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And this is speaking of Abraham accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So the first thing that Abraham did was he focused on God's promise, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So he's walking around, he's saying, God told me in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And he's thinking that that meant that Isaac has to live. So notice the very special word that's used here, that that what Abraham did is it says the word accounting, accounting. He was accounting. The Greek word here is logizomai, logizomai. It's a financial word, logizomai. It's been translated, the same word has been translated by the word reckon, like when you do finances and you reckon or balance the books. In Romans 8.18, Paul used that word when he said, for I reckon, logizomai. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So the word used here and translated as reckoned has the connotation of a setting up a side-by-side financial record sheet. In this case, Paul is using this word translated as reckoned. He's saying that he has set up this balance sheet 
So on one side, he's put down on the balance sheet. Here's all the sufferings that Christians have gone through. Here they all are. He's talked about them in other places. Beaten, forsaken, and so forth. And he calls that sufferings of this present time. And then on the other side of the balance sheet, he puts down the glory, all the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then he says, now I logizomai, I compare. And he says, when I do my reckoning, when I do my logizomai and compare all the sufferings of this present time with the future which glory which will be revealed in us, he says, there's no comparison. They're not worthy to be compared. There's no comparison. In other words, the idea here is this word he gives a careful comparison, a careful consideration. Using this word, it means that Abraham was able to carefully consider that God had made the promise to him that Isaac was going to be a seed and that God was able to raise him up from the dead. God was able, didn't say God was going to, but he said he was carefully considering that God had the ability to, if he chose to. And that gave Abraham peace. The same word is used to describe what Abraham was doing and that caused him not to resist God is also translated as the word reasoned in Mark eleven thirty one, where it says about the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. They reasoned among themselves and say, well, if we shall say from heaven, speaking of John the Baptist, then he'll say, well, why didn't you believe him? So here we see the same word used to describe Abraham, which is, means that it's translated, they're thinking through. They're thinking through to the consequences to what's going to happen. Well, then he's going to say this. So Abraham is, is thinking through to the consequence. So Abraham was thinking through that if Isaac should be killed, then God would have to raise him from the dead in order for my promised seed to come. So that's a word there too. And then it's also used, that word is used, and translated think in Philippians 4.8, where it says, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think, Lord think on these things. So here's Paul saying that we are to choose what's good and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report and has virtue and praise, and we're to center our mind on that. We're to focus on that. We're to meditate on that. We're to dwell on that. And that's what he was doing. He was dwelling on the power of God, God's ability to raise Isaac from the dead. So Abraham's secret of what's in his mind is all encompassed in that word in Hebrews eleven nineteen, logizoma. In other words, or counting. He's accounting. He's objectively using, and that's where we get our word logic. He's objectively using logic to reckon on God's ability to raise him from the dead. He's reasoning or thinking through to the future that God is able to raise Isaac from the dead. That's what he's going to do. He's dwelling. He's meditating on God's power. And that's how he's able to go forward at the end of verse 3 with he rose up and went into the place that God has told him of. But there's something else very interesting in Hebrews eleven nineteen, And it says there in Hebrews eleven nineteen, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. Now, what does that mean? from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. It's saying here that Abraham received Isaac from the dead in a figure. And the key to understanding what this means is all bound up in that word figure. And because the Greek word there for figure is parabole, where we get our word uh, parable from. So that means that Mount Moriah was a great parable lesson for Abraham. And you remember the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always the like unto, compared with, similar to. 
So he, he got this like unto, similar to lesson there at Mount Moriah. So to see the lesson that God taught Abraham at Mount Moriah, it's important for us to get into Abraham's mind at two time points. The first time point, when he arrived at Mount Moriah. The second time point, when he left Mount Moriah. In other words, from the time that Abraham arrived in, with Isaac on Mount Moriah, in Abraham's mind, Isaac was dead. He had counted Isaac as dead. He wasn't, expected, he wasn't expecting anything other than he was going to kill Isaac. That was it. And so really what he was going through on Mount Moriah was just the mechanics. In other words, Abraham was, he, it was mechanical. He, he bound Isaac. He placed him on the altar of sacrifice because in his mind, the boy's dead. And then he's able to raise his knife to kill Isaac because in his mind, Isaac's already dead. But from that time when he got there and the time before his knife, before his hand was held back, Isaac was dead. He wasn't alive. But when his hand was held back from killing Isaac, then Abraham's view of Isaac did a total 180 degrees and he changed and he no longer saw Isaac as dead, but he saw him as, now he's alive, alive again. So Abraham removes Isaac from the altar, he unties him, and now he's no longer dead, but he's alive. So in Abraham's mind, when Abraham arrives at Mount Moriah, Isaac's already dead. When he arrives there, he had lost Isaac to the realm of the dead. And the building of the altar and the binding of Isaac and the placing of Isaac on the altar and the raising of the knife to kill Isaac were just the mechanics for Abraham because Isaac was already dead in his mind. But from the time when Abraham's hand was held back, in Abraham's mind now, he has received Isaac back from the dead. And so that's what it means in Hebrews eleven nineteen when it says, even from the dead, from whence he also, he received him in a figure, in a parable. So Abraham receives Isaac back again from the dead. Isaac really didn't die, but the whole scene on Mount Moriah was orchestrated by God. It was all set up by God to portray to Abraham as Isaac was like dead. So Abraham builds the altar, he binds Isaac, he's going to lays him on the altar, he's going to raise the knife. Isaac is dead in Abraham's mind. In Abraham's hand is held back. He's removed from the altar, Isaac is. He's untied. It's like Isaac was raised from the dead. And so we can imagine that when Abraham unties the hands of Isaac and then braces Isaac and they hug each other, that Abraham is saying to Isaac, I have received you back from the dead. He's saying, I lost you into the realm of the dead. Now I received you back again. From the dead. And this lesson by parable that God is teaching Abraham from this scene, and especially in this embrace between Abraham and Isaac, when he unties them, he's saying to him the words of Hebrews eleven nineteen: Isaac, I received you back from the dead. Isaac, I lost you to the realm of dead, but I've received you back from the dead. That's the great lesson that Abraham learned on Mount Moriah. It's the Hebrews eleven nineteen lesson, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure, in a parable. So when Abraham told Isaac in verse 8, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering, Abraham was about to see that he was not going to lose Isaac into the realm of the dead because God did provide a lamb for a burnt offering in the place, in the stead of Isaac. And so Abraham would not lose Isaac into the realm of the dead. So what was an important lesson for Abraham to learn? Very important This is, we're in Genesis chapter 22, and he's learning this lesson here in Genesis 22, because the next chapter, 
in Genesis 23 is all about the death of Sarah, his wife. And so the lesson that Abraham has learned in chapter 22, he will have to now rely on in Genesis chapter 23. Because he's going to have to apply this now. Because in the next chapter, Abraham will look at Sarah and say, have I really lost her into the realm of the dead? And he'll say to himself, like I received Isaac back again from the dead because God provided a lamb in the place of Isaac, I will receive Sarah back again from the dead because God provided a lamb for her. And so as believers, we receive back again from the dead believers who have died because God has provided the Lord Jesus Christ as the lamb in their stead. So in this chapter 22, God's preparing Abraham for the death of his wife in chapter 23. And because of the lesson Abraham has learned in chapter 22, Abraham is able in chapter 23 to look at Sarah and say, just as on Mount Moriah, I received Isaac back from the dead again, because God provided a a lamb to die in the stead of Isaac, I will receive you back again from the dead because God's provided a lamb for you in the place of Sarah. That's our lesson from chapter 22 that we learn also by this parable, by this figure, this parable. We can look at a believing loved one and say with Abraham, I'll receive you back, my loved one, again from the dead because God's provided the Lord Jesus Christ as the lamb to die in your place. Who knew when I started to teach this this Genesis that by the time I get to these two chapters that I'd be looking at the imminent death of my wife from leukemia. And how much I need to learn this lesson that God taught. You know, Abraham, this is very important. Of course, the book of Genesis has become very personal for me as a book. And Genesis ends with the death of Jacob, which might be my death, you know. So if you think we're going slowly now, (laughs) that reminds me of Dr. Murakami in uh, Osaka as a business colleague. And he told me how reluctant he was to have his daughter leave his home and get married. And so he told me he had a strategy on the marriage day, that he would walk down the aisle to give his daughter away very slowly. (laughs) Anyway, Abraham's life has been one of learning. The way we have to look at Abraham is that Abraham is a student in God's school of faith. God's school of faith. And in this chapter 22, Abraham has learned a great lesson in God's school of faith. And verse 13 is the great lesson that Abraham has learned on Mount Moriah. And that lesson is a burnt offering in the stead of his son. So now as we step back and we look at Abraham as a student in the God school of faith, we look at all the great lessons that he's learned in his school, we can see lesson number one is that all believers have to learn this, and it's seen in the life of Abraham. And the first, when we first saw Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 in the beginning, where it said in chapter 12, 1, the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, from thy father's house unto land I'll show thee. Verse 12 of chapter 12, verse 4 of chapter 12, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. This is the lesson, lesson number one, hearing God's call and becoming an obedient follower of God. That's lesson number one. That's the first lesson that Abraham learned. That's the first lesson that every believer has to learn. They must believe God and obey God. That's the first lesson number one in God's school of faith. Lesson number two is that all believers must learn what was seen from the life of Abraham in the second part of Genesis 12 that we've covered, where Pharaoh says to Abraham in verse 18 through 19 of Genesis 12, Pharaoh called Abraham and said, Abram, and said, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Why dost thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou, she's my sister? So I may have taken her to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her, go thy way. 
This is the lesson number two of repentance. The believer must accept the rebuke of God when it comes to other people. He must squarely face his sin and confess it as sin and turn from sin. That's lesson number two, the lesson of repentance in God's school of faith. Lesson number three that all believers must learn was seen in the life of Abraham and what Abraham did in Genesis 18 and what Abraham said to God in Genesis 18.3 and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. That's the lesson of fellowship with God. And that was a great chapter where God said to, to himself, he said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I'm going to do, seeing that he's... That was a real close friendship with God. And the believer must learn the lesson that he must have fellowship alone with God. He must spend time alone with God. The believer must learn that he must have a private life, a my life, not a we life, with God. He has to spend daily time with God with an open heart, an open Bible. He has to learn what Paul said in Colossians 3.3, for ye are dead and your life is hidden, it's hidden away with Christ in God. Lesson number four in Abraham's life that all believers have to learn, and we saw that in, in the first part of Genesis 22, the great verse, take now thy son, verse 2 and 3, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, into the land of Moriah, offer him there for a burnt offering, upon one of the mountains I'll tell you of. Abraham rose up early in the morning, went unto the place. This is the lesson of unreserved surrender to God. We as believers must not look at this passage and say, well, that was good for Abraham. Abraham was the super saint. You know, good for him, not for me. No, we have to learn the same lesson of absolute submission to the will of God. Holding back from God nothing. Like Paul said, he was begging in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which your reasonable servant. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Lesson number four. Lesson number five that all believers have to learn, seen in the life of Abraham in the God's school of faith, this is where we are now, in verse 8, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. That's the lesson. We see that. Verse 9, he said he offered it in the stead of Isaac. That's a lesson that God spares believers from death by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ as God provided lamb. All believers accept God's provided sacrifice as it says in Isaiah 53.10, thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. The all believers make the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross their personal offering for their own sin. In this fifth lesson, God teaches believers to rely on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ as God's provision. Provision for what? To make them able not to fear death because he died in our place. To make them able not to see death as the loss of a believing loved one because the death makes possible the receiving back, the recovery again from the dead. You know, in the hospital, Cheryl has said that, I'm looking forward to my future, she said. I'm excited about it. Well, how can she say that? Because of her reliance on God's provision of the Lord Jesus Christ who died in her place. You know, two months ago when our believing neighbor, Dottie, died about two months ago, every day after her death, she was very close to Cheryl, Cheryl would get this far-off, pondering look on her face, and she would say, I wonder what Dottie has done today in heaven. (laughs) How could she say that? How could she keep that in her mind? Because her reliance on God's provision of the Lord Jesus Christ to die in Dottie's place. Abraham and us were in God's school of faith. We're together with Abraham. 
In lesson number one, we're learned, we've learned to obey, to believe and obey God. Lesson number two, we've learned the lesson of repentance. Lesson number three, we've learned to have fellowship, alone time with God. Lesson number four, we've learned to absolutely surrender. We're still learning. Absolutely surrender to God. Lesson number five, to rely on God's provided sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ in our place and all the consequences of that. We'll stop here because, because everybody complains that I go too long. So I'm going to buy some credits now with this. I buy two minutes worth of credits. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for making a school of faith, God's school of faith. Thank you so much, Lord, for accepting us into your school of faith. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with us as students in these lessons in God's school of faith. And we thank you, Lord, that you have a good will for us. You are the one with the good will of him that dwelt in the bush. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.